Welcome in to History for Normal People. This is the last time, hopefully, that we'll have a little bit of an audio issue right at the very beginning. Uh, but I just wanted to welcome you. All right, my name is Caleb Land, and I'm here with a normal person. Normal person, what is your name? David. All right, David. So would you consider yourself somebody who really enjoys history? Yes. Oh, you do? So um, if you could say that somebody from history has been really influential to you or that you really enjoy learning about, who do you think that would be? Um, Jesus. Jesus, great. Good answer. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever have you ever heard of Clement of Alexandria? No. No? Have you ever heard of the Coptic Church? <laughs> uh, I, I have actually heard of the Coptic Church. Great. So hopefully you will know a little bit more about Clement of Alexandria by the time this is done. How did a handful of followers of Jesus Christ become the most powerful institution in the world by the year six or 700 A.D.? That's what we're looking at on this first season of History for Normal People. The city of Alexandria on the north coast of Egypt had a long tradition of some of the best learning and scholarship in the world. It was famous for having the largest library in the entire world, which later tragically burned, losing some texts that we have heard rumor of, but we have never been able to recover or see. During the time of the early church, the elites from around the Roman Empire would send their children to Alexandria to learn. They didn't stay in Rome or they didn't even go to, to Athens. Alexandria was that center of learning and the center of intellectual life in the Roman Empire. It's no wonder then that some of the most original and foundational, as well as oftentimes controversial, teachings in the early church came from that city of Alexandria. So the tradition of original scholarship in Christianity actually goes back before the Christian church itself. How is that possible? Well, the work of Philo of Alexandria, who was a Jewish scholar, a widely respected Jewish scholar and interpreter of the Old Testament, who actually had some influence on the early church and was influenced by the early church as well. Not much is known about the origins of the Christian church in Egypt until Clement bursts onto the scene towards the end of the second century, the last decade of the 100s or so. Unlike Ignatius and Justin and some of the earlier church leaders that we've already talked about, Clement doesn't concern himself with only apologetics. Now, while his first major work is about apologetics, he's also going to deal heavily with Christian ethics and systematic theology, really for the first time of any major Christian scholar or Christian leader. He does write a massive work of Christian apologetics, primarily attacking paganism and philosophy. And he writes a detailed work on Christian ethics, primarily on how Christians are supposed to live in Roman society. He begins 
a work on systematic theology, but he changes his mind on ethical grounds. He decides that systematizing scripture, detailing the deep mysteries of God in too common and logical a fashion, was actually a dangerous proposition that could lead to great error. Instead, he uses a more common method of the day, uh, a method that a lot of the philosophers of the time would use, and they would just collect a lot of their random thoughts, a lot of their random beliefs about things, and put them in kind of a, a miscellaneous order to sort of suggest and start discussions more so than answering questions. So this uh, format was intentionally illogical, and it lent itself to uh, pointing to truths in the scripture rather than prescribing an ultimate set of man-made beliefs. He never completed this work as he passed away before it was totally finished, but it still was widely read and influential in the early church and in the Middle Ages. So the Alexandria that Clement found himself in was deeply divided. Gnosticism had taken a deep hold in a highly intellectual society, and the choice seemed to be between an ignorant and simple orthodoxy, which was not very appealing to the intellectuals of Alexandria, or to a more intellectual Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is something that we need to spend just a little bit of time on, and we will be talking about much more throughout the rest of this series, this first season. Gnosticism was a very popular belief system amongst the, the Romans, and the Alexandrians especially, um, definitely the intellectual elites, because it really synthesized the teachings of Greek philosophy, especially those of Plato, with Jesus. Many of the early heresies were a result of Gnosticism. Gnosticism emphasized logic and reason over and above scripture. And if we're going to really simplify Gnosticism down to its very core, it's a rejection of the physical world in its entirety. The physical world for the Gnostics was evil and really beyond redemption. And salvation is going to be not redeeming the physical and spiritual world, but really in just redeeming the spiritual from the physical world. It seems like a slight difference, but it's going to end up playing out in some pretty major ways. For instance, in the Gnostic view, Jesus couldn't actually have been human and God at the same time. He just appeared to be human. So you can see that any number of heresies, even one that we've already talked about this season, came from some of these Gnostic ideas and beliefs. So Clement was able to defend the Christian faith from Gnosticism in really convincing fashion and to provide an alternative that was just as intellectually stimulating while remaining orthodox. So it made it okay for a lot of the intellectual Alexandrians to accept and believe Christianity. And once again, Christianity was a grassroots religion that largely began with the poor, with women. But that doesn't mean that it didn't need some intellectuals to come in and begin to provide their uh, a, a little bit of a, a deeper understanding um, to some of the, uh, the theological issues of the day, especially the attacks that were coming at Christianity from all sides. Clement, for his part, taught that all truth was God's truth, that any truth found in the world, whether in the wisdom of the commoner, the ethics of the Stoics, or the logic of Aristotle, as long as it did not contradict scripture, was or could be good and helpful. He also defended the institution of marriage and civic life from the attacks of the Gnostics who taught a full withdrawal from the world, total celibacy, 
And so he defended the physical world in a lot of ways from the attacks of the Gnostics and spiritual ascetics of his time. Clement, interestingly, was not an ordained minister or a bishop. He was a teacher. He led a school of philosophy in Alexandria. In this school, he wrote and taught rhetoric, grammar, and logic, as well as theology in the Bible. Clement most likely died around the year 215 AD, but his work would continue. He heavily influenced the Alexandrian school, which we're going to be encountering over the next several episodes leading up to the Council of Nicaea, and was incredibly influential in the life of Origen, who was a true giant in the early Christian church and who would extend his work into the third century. In Clement, we were able to really see a man who had wide-eyed and joyful wonder at the good gifts of the Creator all around him. He had what we might today, as loaded as the term is, a generous orthodoxy. At least he was reticent to condemn a lot of beliefs. And I would challenge you to make sure we judge someone like Clement on, not on today's standards, but on the standards of the time. Remember, theology was just developing. There weren't conservative and liberal Christians at the time. There weren't people who believed the orthodox belief system and did not believe the orthodox belief system because the orthodox system of Christian belief was only just starting to be developed. This is pre-Nicene Creed. And so there's definitely some important things for us to learn from someone like Clement and from Origen, even though we wouldn't necessarily hold to all of their beliefs as Orthodox Christians. So Origen had assumed the early leadership in the Alexandrian school after Clement, and he was deeply indebted to Clement's work, but his temperament could not have been more different. His temperament, unlike the wide-eyed joy and wonder that you see in Clement's work, was much more austere and severe. Origen was a passionate man. He was passionate about removing everything that is not essential to the goodness of human beings and to their godliness away, stripping it all away. It kind of reminds you of some of the writings of Paul about leaving everything behind and running with endurance the race that's set before you. He was prolific in his writing, prolific in his Bible study, by all accounts, didn't really have hobbies. He was focused single-mindedly on the work that he produced, and he produced a lot of work. He is a giant in the early church. While Origen was undoubtedly familiar with pagan philosophy and literature, in fact, we're going to see that his philosophy might have, and his theology might have been more influenced by someone like Plato even than Clements was, he did his best to intentionally keep them at arm's length. More so than Clement, Origen shouldered the burden of combating the growing influence of Gnosticism in the church. Origen believed that the best approach, unlike what Clement did, to combating Gnosticism was to develop a complete, fully fleshed out systematic theology that would answer all the questions posed by Gnosticism. This was really his life work. He wrote a massive volume on first principles, which was 
very controversial, and much of it would seem incredibly strange to Orthodox believers today. And interestingly, his desire, like we said, to be more strict and textual than Origen uh, caused him to be much more prescriptive and ultimately led him to the outright adoption of more Platonist ideas. But don't let some of these more extreme views of Origen keep you from appreciating some of his excellent contributions to the church. Remember, we're judging these early leaders not by our context, but by their own. Um, and this is really even before the canon of Scripture is set. So all these 2nd and 3rd century church leaders, they're, they're working out this theology and trying to make applications in specific contexts and beliefs uh, that might be considered outside the norms of that modern Christianity. But that doesn't mean that their overall contributions and commonalities can't be appreciated. So really the key contribution that I want to stress from Origen was his hermeneutical and exegetical approach to Scripture. So remember the, the word that we have from God, his, his, the canon of that, that Scripture has only just been closed within 150 years of Origen. And Origen is trying to seek to understand all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ. This is a common hermeneutical method today, one that was adopted by the Reformers, but one that was not guaranteed to exist until Origen brought it to the forefront. So he really pioneered this Christological approach to interpreting the Old Testament while defending the historical authenticity of scriptures. So he, he wanted to see all of the Old Testament as Christian scripture. As Gerald Bostock has written, Origen was concerned to defend the historical foundations of Scripture on which he built his treasure house of allegorical wisdom. So while he did defend the historical authenticity of Scripture, it wasn't just a collection of allegories. He did believe in reading it allegorically. And the reason that's important is because it's through that allegorical, allegorical interpretation of the Old Testament that he's able to apply the Old Testament to Christians. There was actually a lot of discussion in the early church about whether or not to completely reject the Old Testament. This is probably something that you haven't really given that much thought to. We are used to just having this one bound book of the Bible, but it wasn't really always that way. Christians early on combating Judaizers, combating people who wanted Christians to convert to Judaism, and then become Christians, there were many who believed we should just get rid of the Old Testament altogether. It was largely Origen's massive commentary on the Old Testament, which drew applications to all aspects of Christian life that pushed the Christian church into general acceptance of the Old Testament as Christian scripture. Just as many preachers today have a difficult time applying the Old Testament in anything other than kind of a moralistic way, there was the same kind of struggle that they had at the time. But Origen was very effective in looking at the Old Testament through the lens of types and shadows of Christ. And he's considered a giant amongst the early church teachers for good reason. So, what can normal people today learn from two giant-brained people from the northern coast of Africa in the second century, in the second and third century? 
Uh, not surprisingly, I believe we have a lot to learn from these individuals we've talked about today. Let's just focus in on a couple of things. From Clement, we can learn to delight in the word uh, in the world of God. We can del- delight in the world all around us that, that God has made, and we can strive to redeem all of truth, not to be afraid of truth, and to redeem it no matter where we find it. Christians believe in common grace, which means that Christians don't corner the market on truth. We don't corner the market on the good or the beautiful. We should be able to appreciate truth even more than people who aren't believers because we know where truth and goodness and beauty come from, and we know what it's for. We know that ultimately it's to glorify God. We can also learn from Clement's humility, his unwillingness to elevate many issues to the closed fist variety. He certainly believed in truth, but the list of things that he was willing to separate with other believers over was very small. Origin is a really good balance to his mentor, Clement. He was concerned with creating boundaries, but he was concerned with creating boundaries for the sake of growing in holiness. We also see the weakness in his position when sometimes he was wrong. More importantly, though, for Origen, modern Christians can learn to appreciate and wrestle with the Old Testament as an essential message from God to us. It's not always easy to draw really good, historically rooted, hermeneutically valid, exegetical uh, messages from the Old Testament to the Christian church. It takes a little bit of work, and we can learn from Origen's lifelong efforts to understand the Old Testament as Christian scripture. When Jesus and the apostles quoted from scripture, it was the Old Testament. Yet Christians often ignore the first two-thirds of scripture. So Origen can help us to appreciate and interpret the Old Testament as Christian scripture. And for that, we can be thankful to this early church father. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you can tell how much I appreciate Clement and Origen and the Alexandrian School, and how much I believe that they have to contribute to the modern church. If you'd like to find out more about Clement and Origen, uh, there's a wealth of resources online, and you can always start at normalhistory.com, where we have weekly readings and discussions based off of these lectures. So I'd love for you to join us there at normalhistory.com. Until next time, This has been History for Normal People.